Turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. If you can remember from these last few weeks that I've been teaching, that Jesus has taken aside His intimate circle and He is sending them out with instructions, with power, with authority to go and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom to the surrounding villages, pointing the people to the kingdom of God brought by the Messiah. There is no kingdom without a king, correct? (laughs) And here the disciples are being trained to help the nation see their king, to follow their king who has come to them in grace and in mercy. But we also see that these disciples, even though they're given everything they need to do their job, they are being sent out into a crooked and perverse generation. Just because they have good news doesn't mean people are going to welcome them. I mean, think about the gospel I just want to urge you at the very beginning here to think about what the gospel is. The gospel is not bad news. (laughs) The gospel is good news. Jesus, the Son of God, came to the earth to erase the ravaging sin that began with Adam and Eve, that has gone through every single generation, that ravishes all of our families, that has brought war and strife, and unrighteousness to the world. People think, where is peace? Well, peace was gone from day one because of sin. And Jesus has come to restore what has been lost, to fix what has been broken, to give life where there is death, to establish the universal kingdom of God, the Creator. That does not sound like bad news. But people in this world don't want that. It's intrusive upon their desires, their own will, their own ambitions. Have you ever wanted to sin? Have you ever seen something and just wanted it, even though you knew you should not have it? Well, that's the state that the world lives in every single moment of every single day. We look out in our lives and we say, I want, I want. This is how I want to live my life. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to not do. With absolutely no thought given to the Lord God and His ways, with absolutely no credit or credence given to the Lord Jesus Christ, every man does that which is right in his own eyes. What are our kids told in school? Do what makes you happy. But then the teachers see the kids doing what makes them happy in their class and they think, hmm, maybe I shouldn't have said that. (laughs) But this is what our kids grow up with. Do what makes you happy. Do what's right in your own eyes. Trust your heart. And that's exactly why there is no peace. That is exactly why unrighteousness flourishes. Because every man does that which is right in his own eyes. And and we have seen the brokenness that it brings. We have seen the brokenness that human wisdom... Human wisdom makes sense to the human mind. 
It's not that we're doing something that doesn't make sense to the human mind in some way, whether corrupt or not. Human wisdom makes sense to our minds. And this state of the world is what it has produced. And the Lord Jesus has come to provide a way of peace. But people don't want that kind of peace. Not if it means taking away things that they hold dear, that have nothing to do with the kingdom of Jesus Christ. But it's good news, especially at its very basic form. It is good news. Not that there is no cost to take into consideration, but what is it that the world is rejecting? The world does not understand all the deep things of Scripture. The world doesn't even know what the Lord God requires of His people. What the, Lord, what the world sees is that Jesus came and He forgives sin and He died on the cross. And, but in that simple, basic message is offensive enough to people without even getting into all these complicated discussions about election and predestination and all these types of things that the world doesn't even know about. Many Christians don't even want the full message of Jesus Christ and the Kingdom of God. But God has sent His love into the world. He has sent peace into the world. He has sent His blessing into the world. He has sent eternal life into the world. Something that lasts forever in the goodness of His Kingdom. A transcendent God has looked upon the world with compassion and pity and mercy and has given it an antidote. But yet the world still refuses it. And the disciples are told the good news. They're given the message of the good news, just like we are. And it just seems silly that people would reject it, but the world is hostile, even to the good things of Scripture let alone the hard things of Scripture. Not that those hard things are not good. Speaking in a worldly manner here. Even the things that are purely delightful, without any hardship, the world rejects because it comes from the Scriptures. Because it comes from Jesus Christ. Can't have that. Look at Matthew chapter 10. We spent most of our time last week talking about verses 24 and 25. And 26, I kind of, we briefly swept through 26 through 33. I want to back up a little bit so because this deserves some time here. Let me read verses, 20, verses 26 to, um, we'll start with 33. We'll see if we get much past this. But let's start here. It says in verse 26 of chapter 10, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more va- of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father 
in heaven. Lord, let us see the beauty of this passage. Let it become clear to us. Let us humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. And I pray that we would receive rebuke from your scriptures. Pray that we would receive the goodness that comes from your scriptures. That we would receive the edification and the upbuilding that is here in this word from you. And I pray that your words would go forth. My word, that my words would mean nothing, but your words would transform and equip and empower us for the great work that you have given us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. In here, in this passage that we've been looking at for several weeks, Christ is dealing personally with his disciples. And in a way, this is not just with his twelve And he is dealing with, God deals closely with his own people. And I want to sit here on verse 27 here. I know we read, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What this is talking about is the truth, okay? It is rejected, it is obscured. People reject it, people think we're ridiculous. We talked about this a little bit last week. But it will be discovered one day that it was true. People who reject it will regret not receiving it. The picture that comes into my mind is the days of Noah. Noah spent decades preaching a salvation message to the world around them, but the people would not believe that they were perishing. The people would not accept a message that they were going to perish. So Noah labors day in and day out, both building an ark of salvation, proclaiming to his generation that they needed to understand that God was about to destroy the earth and everything in it, and that they needed to repent. (laughs) But the people do not want that. They said, that's foolish, Noah. Rain? What in the world is rain? What are you talking about? Rain coming from the heavens. This does not compute with our generation. We have nothing, no means of understanding this word of condemnation and rebuke. Noah, go back to your home. Go build your little boat. Leave us alone. Leave us to our life. To live it as we see fit. But then one day, all of those people who maligned Noah, don't you think they saw the truth one day? Very clearly, very vividly, as they're trying to climb the highest mountains. They're standing on their housetops seeking salvation, hoping that the water would not rise to their level. And then they start screaming in panic as they start trying to swim for their lives. And find that they cannot endure the condemnation of the Lord. They see in that, they saw in that moment that everything that Noah said was true. Even though they didn't understand it, they didn't want to hear it, they had no foundation to receive it. It was told to them, but they refused it and they mocked Noah for years, for decades. You see, at the end of things, how many people still got in the ark? How big of a congregation did Noah build? He didn't win a single person. 
It was always going to be him and his family, and that's exactly what it ended up being. Nobody believed him. Not a single person outside of his family that was there from the beginning. Because his generation was one that was consumed with its own way, and its own wisdom, its own lusts. And Noah, he could have given up. He could have said, you know what, these people are overwhelming. I might as well just sit back and do nothing. And um, to be honest, the result would have been the same, right? If he had stopped preaching, nobody would have come. Nobody ended up coming anyway. Yet at the end of the day, these people, the truth was revealed. Okay, it was revealed by Noah. The truth was revealed by Noah through his words. But the truth itself, outside of the words, the words stood for something. The words prophesied of something that would come. The actual truth came and the people saw it. In that moment, they believed, but it was too late for them. They could not get in the ark for the Lord had shut the door. And so it is in our generation that we have a good news of salvation that is given for all people. And the people malign and reject it. They have no foundation for understanding it, for their eyes have been darkened. And sometimes we feel like Noah, where it's like, you know what, me and my family are saved, but nobody else seems to care about any of this. Nobody else wants any of this. Everybody is deceived. Everybody is running after this way and that way. Everything except for that which brings them to salvation in Jesus Christ alone. And we think, what's the use? I've had these thoughts. What's the use? Why not just live life, live and die like everybody else? What's the use of doing any of this? Nobody cares. I mean, as the Roman said, no one seeks after God. So what's the use? But in verse 26, he begins by saying, you know what, it's going to be revealed one day. Just like those people drowning saw the truth, they remembered the words of Noah in that day, but the door had been closed, for they had rejected it until it was too late. Blessed are those who believe without having seen. He says in verse 27 of Matthew chapter 10, What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Say, Jesus Himself speaks the words of truth to His followers. He whispers it. It's like a a person whispering to another person so that not everybody else can hear from the original source. But that original source when he gives that message to his fellow, that fellow is given the job of proclaiming it from the housetops. It is not a secret that is to be kept. No, it is, it is given like a secret from the Messiah to his close dear friends, but with the expectation that his close dear friends make it public. So we see here a relational tension in a way where... You and I, I mean, think about this. This excites my soul. You and I have direct access to Jesus Christ. He deals intimately with you and me because we are His disciples. We get backstage access. We get to know Him personally. We get to dwell with Him. We get to abide with Him. 
We get to enjoy fellowship with Christ. And when I pick up this word of Scriptures, I get to see things that with ears that hear and with eyes that see where other people can pick it up and just see words on a page, ink blots, and they don't understand it. They don't see it. They're not excited by it. Because their eyes are darkened. Their face is veiled. But you and I, we have the privilege of being able to know Him intimately because He whispers into our ears personally. But you and I are given a job to take what is whispered to us and take it to the rest of the world. Because the Lord Jesus does not whisper into the rest of the world's ears. And we must take this, and we're going to look in Romans chapter 10 here in a second, but we need to understand that the Word of God, the good news that has been given to us, that excites our soul, this Word of God rarely enters a house unless it is carried by an actual person. Whether it's a family member, maybe we grew up in a household serving Jesus, hearing the Word of God, and then one day took root, produced salvation, has borne fruit, some of you are set not, did not grow up in a believing home and you received the word of truth in some other manner via the proclamation from another person. We cannot think that a household or a person is going to get saved simply because they choose to believe one day without any interaction from you and me. That is not the expectation that the New Testament lays out for the world. Yes, I understand that it is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is no help at all. But this is not what it's talking about. It's not saying that there needs not be a preacher. Look at Romans chapter 10. Because I, I, I don't want us to live with a false hope that our town, that our family, is going to just suddenly one day wake up without any interaction with believers. Romans 10, 9-17, we're going to look at it. It says... Because if you confess with your mouth that, the, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scriptures say, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What good news is that? That's fantastic news laid out right in front of us that God does not care who you are. If you call upon His name, He will save you in Jesus Christ. But then he goes on and says in verse 14, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So we see here the word of Christ must be on our lips if we are to win our friends, our neighbors, our communities, our, our enemies. The word of truth must be on our lips. But we also must think of this. It is true 
I mean, we live in America where the Word of God is not illegal. In fact, there are Bibles in almost every household. Even the unbelieving households have Bibles in them. And it is true that we, many, many people have access to the words of Christ. Not everybody does, but many do. And we live in a very, um, in a very advantageous situation, you and I, because there is no restriction as to what resources we want. In fact, the book that we had gone through, the um, Honest Evangelism book, I bought that from England. <laughs> that came overseas from a whole different country that we revolted against <laughs> centuries ago. And I bought those books from England. There is little stopping us from getting whatever resource we want from anywhere in the world. But how many people take advantage of this access? Even professing Christians, a recent study done by Lifeway Research shows that while 90% of Christians profess to a personal desire to live for Jesus, only 19% of that same group actually reads their Bible. You know what that says? It means all the other ones are hypocrites. Yeah, I want to follow Jesus, but then they will never actually go and follow Jesus. But then they will never actually pick up the scriptures and see, okay, now how can I follow Jesus? I've got, you know, our, our viewpoint is limited to whatever people say on Facebook. Our viewpoints are limited to, you know, believing rep- Republican ideals and not smoking and not drinking and all these types of things that, are, that aren't actually in the Bible, okay? There is plenty in the Bible, and some of those ideals, they come from principles in the Bible, but there are plenty of very clear, very vivid, very pointed things in the Scriptures that we are told, but we don't actually search the Scriptures to find them. By and large. Because while we say we want to follow Jesus, we don't actually follow Jesus. We don't actually look into the Scriptures to see what it is to follow Jesus. It's a good answer to say, hey, if you're asked the question, do you want to follow Jesus? I'm talking to you people in this room who are here in church. Do you want to follow Jesus? The answer would be yes. Most likely. (laughs) Maybe I should go around and do it individually. Should we do that right now? Should I do that individually? (laughs) Act like I did. Okay? Act like I did. Do you want to follow Jesus? Okay, now what are you going to do about that desire? What are you going to do about that? You want to follow Jesus? What direction are you to follow? I preach. (laughs) But I can only tell you what I'm gleaning from the Scriptures. What are you supposed to do about your own walk with God? Coming to church is not the answer. We need to be seeking the truth on our own, going to the Scriptures to see what the Word of Truth is. If Christians will not read their Bibles, how are they supposed to know what they're supposed to tell the world? How is a Christian man or woman supposed to have any confidence in their faith when they refuse to go to the written source for their faith to see what it actually says and learn what the will and the ways of the Lord actually are. Now we're just talking about disciples trying to make disciples. 
How are we supposed to tell the world about the gospel if we don't even really know what's going on in here? How are we supposed to tell the world, yeah, I believe in the authority of Scripture, but I don't actually place myself under its authority. No wonder the world maligns us. Not just for the word of truth, but for the fact that we don't, the Christians don't actually follow the word of truth. And it's no wonder why we don't really see people proclaiming the word of Christ to their families, their friends, their co-workers, even their enemies, when we by and large are so fearful to do so. We don't exactly know what we're supposed to say because we don't actually know what the Bible says. And I'll be quite honest with you, we have seen that the knowledge of the Word is supposed to be transmitted via preaching and proclamation, correct? Now think to yourselves for a second here. I'm not rebuking anyone individually because I know that some people sitting here are faithful. Are faithful to the authority of Scriptures. They are reading the Scriptures and searching them out. I'm not saying this whole church is in sin in this regard. But some of us may be. And I want you to think to yourselves about these questions here, okay? How many years have you been sitting under the teaching of the Word of God? How many decades? Some of us decades, some of us years. The typical college class requires about 45 hours of instruction. If you simply go to church every Sunday to a church like ours and attend Sunday school, morning service, and afternoon service you will hear the Word of God for about two hours every week. Not even counting Wednesdays or any special other things or your own reading of the Scriptures. Just going to church on a Sunday, you'll hear about two hours of of the teaching of the Word of God. In a year, that translates into about 100 hours, not taking all those other things into consideration. It's 100 hours of sitting under the teaching of the Word of God. So if we were to compare teaching hours to college teaching hours... Every year you are completing two college courses. Every year, minus, you know, homework. College includes homework, and we're not doing homework necessarily. At this rate, it would take about 12 years to spend the same amount of time under God's word in church as a college graduate would have spent in class for an entire major. So how many majors have you completed, minus homework? How many majors have you audited? (laughs) Now let me ask you a follow-up question. How confident are you in your understanding of the Word of God because of all those majors that some of you have accumulated in your lifetime? Can you answer simple questions about heaven, hell, salvation, the church, baptism, Bible prophecy, Christ, the Holy Spirit, or Christian and Jewish biblical history? Can you answer simple questions about any of those categories with all the teaching that you've sat under? If you've been sitting under the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God for decades, and you still feel insufficient for these things, perhaps there's an issue with our hearing, and our desire to learn, and our desire to place ourselves under the authority of Scriptures. When we had the kids up here, and I was embarrassing them, (laughs) I asked them, why are we here? Because we can meet with God anywhere. Part of why we're here is the togetherness of being the body of Christ coming together to edify each other. I'm edifying you according to my spiritual gift and the calling from God, but I'm not the only member of this church. I can only do so much. 
We come here for the togetherness, but we also come here to sit under the teaching of the Word of God because we don't always have access to teaching of the Word of God. Most Christians don't come to church to learn. They come to church because it's Sunday. Let me ask you, did you wake up this morning thinking, I wonder what we're going to learn from the Word of God today? Or did you wake up like most Americans who go to church and say, well, it's Sunday, it's time to get ready for church. So what we do on Sundays, where is the eagerness to learn what the Scriptures say? Many of us remain ignorant even though we have been thoroughly taught. I have read through a lot of Pastor Darrell's sermons. He taught a lot of goodness to this church. He was a great teacher. He knew his stuff. You have not been sitting under an insufficient teacher for decades. Back in Romans chapter 10... Let's look at verse <laughs> let's look at let's look at verse 9 here for a second. Romans 10 verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that the Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay? So there's a very clear instruction about something that we can tell people. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that G- that God raised him from the dead. Paul tells us that, that person will be saved. Did you know that? If somebody were to ask you, how can a person be saved? Would a verse like this, there are many verses that are similar to this in the Scriptures, would a verse like that pop up into your head? Did you know those things? You, I mean, you've heard it before probably. Have you learned it? Look at verses 18 to 21. I didn't cover these for a reason. He says, but, and they say, Romans chapter 10, verse 18, but I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? For Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then I say, Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, All the day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. He preaches the the word of truth has been given to his people, the Israelites, for millennia. The word of truth has been provided to them to follow, to know. In in the Old Testament, we see it was the law was, I mean, you know, when Paul was standing up for his fellow Jews, He says, I love the Jews. To them was given the law. To them was given the law, the word of truth. It wasn't given to the Gentiles first. It was given to the Jews. That means something. And you and I, we have the word of truth. It is being proclaimed on a weekly basis. Even the Jews didn't get that on a weekly basis. They did not have church services like we have. This is a modern construct in a sense. But how many of us are so ignorant and so disobedient still because we don't actually care what's in the Scriptures? How then are we supposed to be effective in reaching a world who already does not care if we don't even care to learn it and to submit ourselves to it? 
The number one problem with the Israelites is not that they did not know the word. It's that they did not honor it. They were not intent on letting the word of Christ determine their beliefs or actions. That's why, the, that's why Jesus was rejected by his own people. They were all taught to be looking for the Messiah, but when the Messiah actually came, they didn't want that. Just like we're, we're taught to believe in the authority of Scripture, to follow the word of God, but then when, when the word of God tells us something that we don't want to hear, we quickly dismiss it. Even though we still maintain the confession of the authority of Scriptures, but with our life, we're a hypocrite. We don't actually believe the authority of Scriptures. And I've been addressing a perspective on the lack of Christian confession in this world, in this nation. Confession, I mean publicly confessing the name of Jesus. We're often turned off by the word preaching. We think the preaching is for the pastor. Preaching in the Scripture simply means telling people what you believe what you've studied, what you know, proclaiming. I mean, this preaching is, is not necessarily just this one thing for one person. Okay, Every disciple, I mean, it, even in this salvific moment, he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord. Confession is part of us from the very beginning. Public confession is part of salvation from the very beginning. And I've been addressing the church. I've been addressing those who call themselves disciples of Jesus Christ. There are many reasons why people do not speak up about their faith. I've been talking from one perspective. This is just one way of looking at it. But we must be on guard that we do not profess to believe something that we don't actually believe. And if we've come to discover that I don't actually believe it, then maybe we should repent. Maybe we should repent. In verse 28 of Matthew chapter 10, if you want to turn back here real quick, and I, I'll end with this, okay? We'll, we'll end with this, this, this short, shorter passage here. I might have to look at a couple other things, but we'll see here. In verse 28, he says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy the, both the soul and the body in hell. We are told not to fear those who kill the body. Jesus just taught us a couple of verses ago that if the people maligned the actual Messiah, how much more will they malign the Messiah's disciples? Okay? And what is, what is there to malign as a disciple of Jesus? Well, most people around us, just thinking about the people in here, people in our circles, they probably can't look at your life and malign you for something, some way that you live. Maybe there is something, and you know there are probably some things here and there that we all have made mistakes. We've all done things in the past that people remember because our society lacks forgiveness. But in general, the way we're living our life is not usually what people malign. People don't find fault in, okay, so you look, search through the scriptures and see how we're supposed to live amongst our fellow man. People don't malign it when you are hospitable to them. People don't malign you for buying their groceries or paying their gas or showing, showing up in their time of grief. People are not going to malign you for those things, even though those are scriptural things that we're supposed to follow. These Christ-like acts of kindness are not what the world hates. The world hates, first and foremost, the message 
of redemption, the message where God had, Christ has come to dispel the darkness and replace it with light. That's what the world hates. The world hates the message of repentance. The world does not hate the Good Samaritan. It hates the intrusive good news. A good news that confronts who they are from the core, who tries to re-identify them, to draw them into repentance. That's what the world hates. So what good is it to take comfort in a Christ who says, do not fear, when we don't live a life that needs such comforts, since we do not proclaim the word that the world hates? The words from Jesus that say, do not fear, mean nothing to us. They don't apply to us, because we're not actually doing anything that would result in the maligning of the world. World, But this comfort, when Jesus says, do not fear, is for those who obey the word of Christ. In verses 29 and 30, it says, <clears throat> Okay, so do not fear those people who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Why are we told to believe that in verse 28? Why is he telling his disciples that? Think about that. I'm actually not going to tell you the answer. I want you to think on that for a while. Oh, Wyatt doesn't like that. <laughs> I don't want to tell you the answer. Because I want you to think, why in the world would God tell His disciples, rather fear Him who can destroy both soul and body in heaven? Verse 29. This is, he's more, in verse 29, he's commenting on the first portion of verse 28, where he says, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot fill the soul. kill the soul. Verse 29, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, for you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. What words of hope are here? The reason we do not need to fear a hateful world like the world in Romans chapter 3 is that we know that God our sovereign Lord, the creator of the universe, the giver of this message, the commander of the preaching of the message, is intimately involved in His people's lives, whom He has commanded. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, and I do think that it is, I mean, think about it. All this stuff was happening 2,000 years ago. Have you ever sat down and just wondered, God, where are you? Why aren't you showing up? I mean, where are all these miraculous wonders that we see in the Scriptures? Why are you so silent? And sometimes we can think, man, God must just be gone. God just must not be here right now. He must be... You know, just like, uh, just like uh, Elijah said to the Baal worshippers, maybe he's sleeping. You've got to wake him up. You've got to cry louder. Maybe he's relieving himself. <laughs> Sometimes I think that deep down inside, we kind of feel like that about God. God, where in the world are you? Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. 
if you think that God is missing, or you think that He has something against you, remember this verse. Christ lives in you. He is not appearing in the flesh by Himself. He is appearing in your flesh, in Himself. And we see this. We receive it by faith because sometimes it just does not feel that way. If you think that God has something against you or that He's missing, think rather on the fact that it is Christ who is living in you and through you. And the Father will by no means turn His face away from His glorified Son. He did that once for the substitutional atonement for sin. He turned His back on Christ who is bearing our sins on the tree, a holy rejection that is rightly due us, but for our sins are rightly ours to bear. And in that moment, God turned His back on our sin once. And through this rejection, His wrath was appeased. This, we think, where are you? It's been 2,000 years. But also think this. What God did happened 2,000 years ago. And God does not need to reject you anymore. Because He has already rejected your sin 2,000 years ago. Before you were even born, God rejected your sins. In Christ, on the cross, on the cross, and your sins have been removed and you have been reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. If you feel rejected by God, take another look at the cross. And remember that what was done once needs done no more. Unless the cross of Christ had no effect 2,000 years ago, and therefore our faith is in vain. Now dwell within the promise that God's eye is upon us and His sovereign hand is upon us. I live in the, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and He gave Himself for me. Paul is saying that on a personal level. You and I can relate to that on a personal level. He gave Himself for me. He loved me. I mean, think about this. In this church, it is, it is the common understanding that God has elected those to salvation. But think about the world. Billions of people, both in the present and all those who have died in the days past. I've been reflecting on this this week, and it's just reflecting on the love of God. Like, why in the world? Oh, he, out of all the people in the world, He has chosen to put His goodness upon me. It's not a stroke of luck. That's the love of God. He has directed His eye to you in love. There are plenty of people out there who probably deserve it more than I do. If we were talking about deserving. But for some reason, the Lord has directed His eye to you and to me. To bring you salvation. To forgive your sins. To reconcile you to Himself. To make you a vessel of honor, fit for His household. The Lord has done that. <laughs> First Peter chapter 5. In verses 6-11, through 11, the Word says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Why can we have confidence in casting our anxieties on the Lord? 
because we know that the Lord cares for you in the Scriptures. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Whoa, wait, your brothers are suffering at the hand of the devil. Wait, aren't those God's people, God's chosen people, the, God, the people that God turned his eye of love and compassion and mercy to? Aren't those the people that God looked upon with favor? And yet Paul, Peter says about these people, your brotherhood is experiencing these sufferings. Does God just call us and then forget us? Well, let's look and see. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you into His eternal glory. Listen to the God of all grace. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you into His eternal glory in Christ. God called you, Nancy, Wayne, Isla, Roger, Carrie, Wyatt, Sandy, Doug, Donna, those in the nursery or were scattered throughout the, the church. God has called you. Into his eternal glory in Christ. That's what he has done. Do you believe that? Do you ever sit and just love that? And what does he say? After you've suffered a little while, he, this God who has called you, who has turned his eye to you. He will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. His eye is not off of you. Sometimes you need to think that maybe God's playing the long game. Maybe all of this is coming together for good for those who love Him, for those who are called according to His purpose. Remember that verse? Perhaps the story is still being written. All the pieces are still coming together. I'm not trying to preach a self-help message. I'm trying to tell you what the Word of God says. That God has not turned His eye from you. Everything that you have suffered, everything, if you obey Christ, if you walk with Christ and do the things that the Scriptures say, everything that happens to you will be good. And all the suffering that comes upon you will, will apply here. In a little while after you have suffered, God Himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. What in the world is on His mind when He brings in dominion? Because all things are under the word of His power. All things are under the word of God's power. All things have been put under the dominion of Jesus Christ. Therefore, all that happens, both on a broad scale and in your personal life, He's got something going on in that. Because He is the Sovereign. If anyone confesses with his mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you have confessed that Jesus is Lord, then you need to see him as Lord in your life. And see that all the things that is happening, all the sufferings, all the rejections, all the maligning, that's to be expected. And one day, you will be uplifted in due time. You will be. One day, all the things that are, are dark, all the things that are hidden will be revealed. Okay, we may not look, it may not look like we're princes and princesses of the king of heaven, but one day the things that are true will be revealed, even though today they are shrouded in darkness. One day it will be revealed. 
And those who endure to the end will be able to engage in that inheritance, in the revelation of the truth. Those who fall away will still suffer the perishing. All of this recalls Matthew chapter 10, verse 26, which we read last week, where it says, Have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. One day the faithful have this promise. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Beautiful. One day you're going to stand, and Jesus is going to stand next to you and uplift you before the Father. That's what we want Him to do now, right? We want Jesus to just come. We want Him to uplift us. We want Him to encourage us. We want Him to tell us that everything's okay. But it says that that's going to happen. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But for the faithless and the fruitless and the disobedient, it is said, whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. If you will not confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and those who completely and utterly reject the message of of grace from the very beginning, that's what you have to look forward to. And let this convict our hearts, but let this also encourage our hearts. For we are not alone. It may feel like it, but we are not alone. And let us embrace the future that is ahead of us for those of us who obey the word of Christ. With all of its, you know, we count the cost. You know, Jesus says, you need to count the cost of discipleship, of following me. If you're going to take up your cross daily and follow me, you need to know what it is. What exactly he's saying to take up your cross. A death march. And many of us count the cost, certainly, and that's why we shut our mouths. But some of us do count the cost. And we say, you know what? I'm willing to trade my life in for this treasure that I have found. I do not endeavor to save my life. I endeavor to live my life for Christ, for it is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Let us be encouraged by this word. Those of us who are walking obediently, this is encouragement, because it is a message of hope for those who will walk in the footsteps of Jesus. For was not Jesus himself glorified at the resurrection? And will we not experience a resurrection like his and be ushered into the presence of God where Jesus himself will confirm and establish us and acknowledge us before the Father in heaven. Think long game. Think eternity. When we shrink back in fear, it's because we're thinking short term. We're thinking today. We're thinking what I'm feeling right now. We're thinking, oh, this person's going to reject me. You know what? They might reject you today, but maybe in 10 years, they'll turn around and accept you and accept the word that you have spoken. Or maybe they won't. Noah didn't shrink back from obeying the Lord. People are condemned in their own selves when they reject the Messiah. They're not condemned because of you. You are not condemned because of them. Before God alone will we give an account. We do not consider ourselves to be another person's servant. We are our Lord's servant, and to Him we give account. For those who have been faithful... 
He will be rewarded according to the scriptures. For those who have been given talents and they use them rather than bury them in the ground, they will be rewarded. For those who bear much fruit, they will be rewarded according to the fruit that they bear. And for those who bear no fruit, they will be cut off as a dead branch. This is all scriptural. We must look to the scriptures for our salvation and for how we must walk. You could say that this is a message about the authority of scriptures because quite honestly, it is very much so. Because we must look to the scriptures for the truth. We must look to the scriptures for the guidance. And if, I'm gonna, if I would give you one thing to walk away with today, it would be this. Search the scriptures and let them lead you to faith in Jesus Christ. Let them lead you to obedience to Jesus Christ. Do not think that eternal life is found in simply looking at scriptures, but looking at Christ. Let Him be your Lord. When you go home, engage with God. Look to the scriptures. Prayerfully read through them, seeking the message of the Lord. Look to the scriptures thinking, what must I... We just, Kristen and I just put together devotional sheets that the kids are to do before school each day. And two of the questions are, what is, there, is there a truth to believe? And another question is, is there a command to obey? We would do well to intentionally come to the scriptures to see what am I to believe and what am I to obey? And then take that. And then the last question on their sheet is, is there something that I need to remember today? To take with me. Because if we will do that consistently, we can't... We can't process everything all at once, okay? But we can process things day by day. So each day, look into the Scriptures. See, what should I believe? What should I obey? And what can I take with me to process today? To submit myself to today that I haven't been? That's, that's all. Lord, help us. Help your people to be true disciples. To not be like Laodicea, or Sardis, who received harsh rebuke and had very little to praise from Jesus. Lord, may we not be dead, but may we be living. May we not trust, may we not grow comfortable in our state of life. Let us continue to bear fruit until our last breath. Let us see the word of truth as something that is worth being said, even though it might spark some fear within our hearts. Lord, forgive us for how we have strayed. Appeal to us, Lord. Whisper in our ear your good words. And may we be willing to obey and to proclaim those same words. In Jesus' name, amen.